uh, your uh, person, your voice, your um, help me to be your representative here. And I pray that folks would hear from you. Uh, Lord God, I pray that they would hear from you with hearts that are, are full of humility and full of a desire to be Christ-like. Um, I pray for your grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I am starting uh, yesterday, four days late, so only four days late this year. I'm doing this uh, Great Cycle Challenge thing. And, and part of what's awesome about doing this, it's a bicycle ride, raising money for children's cancer. Uh, and part of the awesome thing about that is I have um, unusually good eyesight, right? My wife is making faces at me because my eyesight is not good once the refrigerator door opens or when I'm trying to figure out where my keys are in my hand uh, or whatever, like I, or new haircuts sometimes. I think she had her hair dyed red for a little while and I didn't notice. Um, and I said, oh my gosh, when did you dye your hair red? Like a month ago? What is wrong with you? Um, but the other end of that is that when I am out riding, or it actually happens when I'm driving, I find stuff. In my lifetime, I have found four iPhones in the road while driving. Um, and, and like just random, either they've been run over by someone or I picked it up and found the owner or whatever, I, I spot things. And I don't know why I can do that. Once I was driving to Great Falls, I looked over and I thought, that's a set of Beats headphones on the side of the road. And I was going too quick, and I made it a point I should stop and see if those are still there. And they were there. They were broken, but they were there. Um, I identified the brand. Like, I spot things very well. Um, and so while I'm doing bicycle riding for the next month, I'm going to find tools, right? I found, um, I have in my garage, I didn't bring it because it's not a screwdriver, and you'll understand why. I found a wrench, like this huge adjustable wrench. Um, really nice, and I was like, man, that's great. And then it's really hard to bicycle and carry a giant wrench, but, you know, whatever. Um, I found all kinds of odds and ends. Every year I find two to three tools while bicycling. A few years ago, this is not one of them. I could not find, because my eyes aren't that good, I could not find the one. I found a big screwdriver that was about like this. And it was down in the weeds, and I spotted the rough shape of it, and I turned around and grabbed it up. And it was awesome because a screwdriver like this, you know, if you find it, number one, it's free. <laughs> right? And free is good. Um, but number two, a screwdriver like this, I mean, everybody knows a screwdriver's for, for prying cans open, you know, or, uh, you know, like, like uh, well, prying mostly, right? Like it's the poor man's crowbar. Um, but, but like there are a lot of uses for it. And like, like this screwdriver in my hands has been very useful. I've been very happy that I found and use this screwdriver. Now I'm going to show you another tool that I found. And before I show it to you, I'm going to tell you the story about eight years ago, seven years ago, we were coming home from the Bitz's house. Um, it was back when Judith landing was still a dirt road way back when I remember when, um, and I was driving my car and my wife was, or my, my drive, wife was driving the pickup. And all of a sudden, or maybe it was the other way around, all of a sudden I looked in the rearview mirror and she was gone. And it was, you know, I think it was New Year's Eve or something. I was New Year's Eve and it was cold out. Oh, when was it, dear? Anyway, it was, it was dark and it was cold. And so I pulled a U-turn and I went back and there she was in the middle of the sand with a flat tire. 
Now, I changed the tire. I put my cape on, and I got out in the sand, and I, and I changed the tire for her, and she was, you know, oh, my hero, you know, you came and saved me. Like, I don't know what I was going to do in the dark with this, you know, and, and so um, I found a screwdriver while changing that tire. Um, I have kept it. My wife has repeatedly told me to throw it away. I have kept it because one day I might have a use for it, and today is that day. Um, this screwdriver at one time was very useful, and in the right circumstance would have been a phenomenal find, right? But it was not a great find at the time because it was jammed in my tire, Pretty sure it came from Larry's house. I'm just saying. But, <laughs> but um, I found this tool, but in its state, it was a hindrance. Help? Hindrance. Almost the same thing. Different circumstances. As we dig into our text today, we're going to be talking about Nebuchadnezzar, and this is the last time Nebuchadnezzar is going to appear in the book of Daniel as a character. He's going to die before the next chapter, and this is actually our last Daniel stop for the year. Okay, we're going to go back to Acts. We might detour and hit something else on the way, but this is the last time we're going to talk about Nebuchadnezzar, and all the way along, Nebuchadnezzar, like the recurring theme is God raised Nebuchadnezzar up as his representative as his leader to punish the people of Israel. Was it because Nebuchadnezzar was awesome? Absolutely not, because he kind of wasn't, right? It was because God is amazing and used Nebuchadnezzar like a tool, right? And every one of us lives to some degree in this neighborhood. God uses us or he doesn't, right? Some of us are lost tools, right? Um, but all of us have a purpose that God uses us for or doesn't use it for. And, and so we're going to talk about Nebuchadnezzar from that viewpoint, okay? Um, as we dive into the text here, last week we, we saw Nebuchadnezzar having a dream. And he has this dream about a big tree that gets cut down and like the, everybody's afraid to tell him what it means. Daniel comes along and he's like, all right, Nebuchadnezzar, here's the deal. I'm, please don't kill me for telling you this. God is going to strike you down. He's going to humiliate you and he's going to cut you down and it is going to be brutal. And he's going to do it because you're sinning. And all you have to, like, he says, listen, here's my advice. Stop it. Do better. Everybody with me? Do better. Don't continue in the path that you're on. And the text ends. Now, we're going to pick up, but before we pick up, in Daniel 4, by the way, there are Bibles in the pew. You can look in the Bible and follow along, um, which is a very good habit to develop because... Um, there are certain tools that require equipment. Uh, Jeremy Eccles and I were discussing uh, hammers. Does anybody have one of those concrete hammers where you put a 22? Uh, <laughs> I got one, too. I found it the other day while I was cleaning the garage. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. Um, I don't know what to use it for, but I'm going to find one just so I can use it. Um, like, uh, <laughs> I don't know why. I lost my point there. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about hammers and 22 shells. Oh, um, follow along in your Bible because the fact of the matter is that that hammer, as cool as it is, if I don't have the shells, 
and I don't have the nails, it is really useless. And part of collecting up the little 22 rounds you need and the nails you need is consuming the word and digesting it and filling yourself with it. Everybody with me? So look in your Bible, follow along. What's that face, Stephanie? Okay. All right, all right, never mind. It made sense. Everybody who thought it made sense gives Stephanie a judgmental look. Um, <laughs> so here's the big idea, okay? Here's the big idea in this text, in this sermon. If you're going to hear me say nothing else, God's mercy, his grace, and his power are the source of all redemption and all success in our lives. Like, And it is always despite our flaws. So if you are saved, it's not because you're awesome. If you succeed, it is because God has gifted you in a way that is incredible. Like, it is because God has served you. God has taken, not because God has used you as his tool. Because God has put you in this position. Failure to recognize that is a mistake. It's where Nebuchadnezzar is. Because Nebuchadnezzar knows, knows that God raised him up. But he doesn't live like it's true. So, we're going to start our text here. Before we do, actually, I have one more thing. James, and this is a big one. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Why did I include that? First off, because Nebuchadnezzar doesn't do it, right? He doesn't. He gets a direct dream message from God saying, knock it off or else. And what does he do? Exactly the opposite. Like he ignores it. Um, and in fact, actually, this is the third instance of God giving him a direct message, a miracle going along with it, and he, like, really doesn't change it all over and over again. I, I don't know a lot of people who have been blessed enough to see a miracle, right? Like, other than, like, the, the whole creation testifies to God's glory miracles, right? Like, we all see a miracle every morning when we see the sunrise, you know, for those of you who don't get up early, the sunset, um, like we see those miracles. But, but Nebuchadnezzar saw like real miracles, people thrown in fire and surviving, people eating no meat and being healthy, um, like that kind of stuff, like real miracles. Nobody laughed at that. Um, so we're going to get into Daniel. All of these things, all of this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, previous to here, it was in Nebuchadnezzar's voice. He was dictating from here, all of this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, somebody else writing. How do we know? Because, like, he says all of this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And why doesn't Nebuchadnezzar write this? Because he was crazy at the time. He was unable to account firsthand, and so he has somebody else write it. Um, Twelve months later, that feels like a SpongeBob moment. Twelve months later. Yes. The mighty theologian... God gave him time to change as an act of mercy, but his word was fulfilled. He had time to fix it. He had time to change, 
right? He had time. He looked at the word. He looked at the dream. He saw himself. He probably became aware like, oh, I'm in trouble. And this is the same God who did all of A, B, C, and D. I need to change. I like some banter, but don't sing at me. Um, And so God gives him mercy, and he doesn't change. This is somewhat akin to, um, Eric, if you do not start stretching, you are going to have problems with your feet. I was told that by a doctor. You know what I have? Problems with my feet, not a stretching routine. I had a doctor years ago, uh, Dr. Christ was my family physician, who every time I saw him, he smelled like cigarette smoke, right? And the guy obviously smoked, and he was about 80 pounds overweight. He was super nice. He was awesome. He was brilliant. He was a great doctor. He's one of my favorite doctors I've ever had. But the guy was overweight, and he smoked. And I remember him telling me, yeah, this smoking thing, you probably ought to quit because in the long run, it's going to kill you. Looks in the mirror, sees a truth forgets what he looks like. I don't mean to knock on Dr. Christ. I'm, I think he told me to lose weight and stop smoking. That may not be right. So I may have just made that up. I apologize if I lied. I repent of it. Um, God gave him time to change, but he didn't. And oftentimes we live in that. Oftentimes we hear a sermon on Sunday morning. We encounter a place where we're sinning. We look at a part of our lives that is not in harmony with God's will. And we think, I really need to change. Anybody ever do that? And it is really easy to change for a little while, right? I am the king master of dieting all day and eating four courses at dinner along with an entire pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, right? I'm good at it. But the long-term change is what matters. And in the end, 12 months later, he hasn't changed. So... All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Who built it? King Nebuchadnezzar, right? No. And by the way, mind you, if he's walking on the roof of his palace, he is looking out at a wonder of the ancient world. The Hanging Gardens was like one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it was this, this like thing that he built for his wife, right? Like his wife was from another part of the world. And she told him, I miss the green and I miss the nice like landscape and everything else. I miss it. And so he said, I'm going to bring water into this desert. I'm going to install plumbing and I'm going to build gardens on top of the roofs. And I'm going to pump water up there. And he did. And there were like these lush gardens everywhere on top of roofs. In Like I like to think that I do nice things for my wife, but I can't hardly make the bed in the morning. And I definitely have trouble taking my shoes off. This guy built a garden in the desert on top of people's houses. And so he's looking out at it and he's like, aren't I awesome? Look at everything I have done. Look at how well I have accomplished. Look at the things that I have managed to do in my life. Wow. I'm great, and glory and majesty to me. So now Nebuchadnezzar has been told over and over again, God raised you up. God put you in the position to demonstrate his wrath against Israel, to punish them. And Nebuchadnezzar has said, oh yeah, I guess that's probably true. And now, 
12 months later, he's forgotten again. And so there he is saying, aren't I awesome? This is pride, right? And at the end of the day, Nebuchadnezzar started out as this. He was a tool in God's hands, and he accomplished what he set out to accomplish, right? Like what, he, what God set him out to accomplish. He accomplished it. Ultimately, for many of us, and I'm not talking about the guy next to you. I'm talking about me, and maybe you if it sounds like you. Our pride creates problems. Our pride turns us into the kind of people that get in the way that cause damage, that destroy, that tear down, that chew up. Despite God's warning, despite his direct warning from God and repeated demonstrations of his power, Nebuchadnezzar does not change. Why? Because Nebuchadnezzar is sinful. He is full of pride. He knows how awesome he is. He knows how great he is. He's pretty sure God knows it too, and God is lucky that he picked this instrument to work for him, right? At the end of the day, the tool only accomplishes a great deal in God's hands. Sorry, I lost my slides. No, I'm lost. Uh, even as the words were on his lip, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes, which he has already heard repeatedly, and now he's hearing it again, and he is about to lose his mind, which is exactly what happens. Immediately, did you need something? Another plate? Okay. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Um, so a couple of things about this. I mentioned this last week. Um, a lot of folks assume that what he had was a mental illness called lycanthropy, right? Which is the belief that you are an animal. It is a, not super common, but it does happen, Right? Um, and actually, some of the things described here, like his hair growing long and his fingernails becoming like the claws of an eagle, like there's, uh, have been like documented in people who develop this illness where their fingernails grow thicker for some reason and their hair like, like takes on this weird texture and everything. Like I was reading about it this week. I can tell you more not right now. It is really strange. But it is a real thing. It is the case that this man lost his mind. Now... There are folks who in history have said, well, this can't be true. There's no way that this actually happened. However, there is a little bit of archaeology that supports it because there is a tablet, right, a tablet, a clay tablet that was discovered by archaeologists, and it was like in fragments, but it talks about a period of time in Nebuchadnezzar's rule where his son takes over and runs the kingdom for a while. And, like, they're not able to ascertain what happened or what have you, but it is the case, like, Nebuchadnezzar was out of the picture, and his son ran the show. And Daniel tells us how. Um, he lost his mind, and he lived amongst the animals. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, so he takes up the, the narration again. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was 
raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High and I honored or I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Now we're going to hit pause here. I said last week, I'm going to say it again. This event in Nebuchadnezzar's life reflects what happened to Israel. Okay? Israel was God's chosen people. He called them out of the nations for his purpose, right? Like, and they're told that over and over again, and they continue to rebel. And God says, hey, knock it off or else. And then they, sure, God, and then they rebel some more. And they get punished, and they see miracles, and they repent, and then they start rebelling some more. And over and over and over again, and their pride as God's chosen people is what crushes them. They believe that they are the beautiful thing, not that they are a tool in the hand of the master. They go from God's chosen people to broken and living like, living like the world, tossed out of the promised land, eating grass, I, which actually I guess Daniel did. That's not me exegeting. That was a joke. Um, the, uh, they were cast out. They were kicked out, and they lived amongst the people of the world as less than what they were. And ultimately, after seven periods of time, 70 years, they're brought back and they glorify God. And they do so not because they're awesome, because they realize, but for by the grace of God, I'm nothing more than a screwdriver stuck in a tire. Right? That's not a great fit for Israel. My screwdriver stuck in a tire. But it is a great fit for me. Because I've had periods in my life where I believe I am awesome. And I cause people to stumble because of my pride. Anyone? And if I've done that to you, I repent of it. I'm sorry. You know, I need grace because I'm not very good. But I suspect most of us have been there. Where our treatment of our wives um, causes them to wonder, is this really what Jesus is supposed to be like? Right? Because that's what Paul says, you know, be Christ to your wives, love her like Christ loved the church. You know, where our children watch us and they watch how we live and they watch what we do and they stumble because they say, if he's a hypocrite, what's the point? And we end up becoming a stumbling block. When the neighborhoods look at us and they say, what is the church doing? Why are they like that? Right? And sometimes we look like the world. And I'm going to tell you, this is me being very careful, but it came up in my prayers this morning, and so this is where I'm at. So um, I think if you look at the last few years, the church has acted just like the world in relation to everything happening in public discourse, right? We don't want to love each other. We want to point fingers. We want to be right. We want you to do this for me or else. Um, And I'm not going to do anything for you, period. I mean, it happens in the world a lot, right? And I'm not saying that about you. I'm saying it about me because I realize there are times I don't do things or I expect other people to do things and I'm not showing them grace. I'm just getting mad because they're not doing my thing. But ultimately, fortunately, I am not in charge. Fortunately, my life is not my own to direct. Otherwise, everything I do will look like this. In God's hands, I manage this occasionally, despite me. I'll get back to that idea a little bit. Okay, I'm not 
trying to dump on anyone. This is something as I was praying this morning that kept coming back to me, and I'm thinking, I don't want to talk about that. Um, His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? So I'm going to jump over to the book of Romans. Uh, This is Romans 9. Um, Read it on your own. It is brutal. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? This is talking about Israel, how some of Israel was brought into Christ and some did not and were lost. Right? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Now, I am not about to preach a sermon on predestination. I'm going to talk about God's use of us, right? Follow me here. God gives us gifts. He made some of us really clever. And he made some of us good-looking. I look in the mirror and forget what I look like all the time. Don't worry. (laughs) He made some of us talkers, and he made some of us prayers, and he made some of us generous, and he filled some of us with compassion, and he gave some of us drive, and he gave some of us um, whatever. Like, God has given us all the gifts that he has given us. Everyone in this room lives wealthier than 90% of the whole world. He has given you a gift in that. He has given you freedom that he's given you. He's given you his word in abundance. I was uh, reading uh, uh, Viktor Frankl's account of uh, his time in the concentration camp and talking about the best of us died, and, and it made me think of Anne Frank's, or not Anne Frank, uh, Corey Tenboom's account of her time in the concentration camp and how they had fragments of Bibles they smuggled in, and they would do Bible study with the pieces that they had every night. And I probably own 70 Bibles in total And I don't know that I do Bible study every day. Not with the people around me. Right? And I think God lets me make my mistakes. He lets me hate my neighbor. He lets me be selfish. And he calls me to repent. And if it goes long enough, he teaches me a lesson. For Nebuchadnezzar, that lesson was humiliation. But he learned it. God uses Nebuchadnezzar for his purpose. And then when Nebuchadnezzar gets too full of himself, too big for his britches, he gets crushed. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble Ah, stupid wi-fi for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith this is actually not daniel this is philippians or Ephesians. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I included this Ephesian text because it sits right in line with Nebuchadnezzar's words, right? I'm not saved because I'm awesome. There's nothing I brought to my salvation apart from the need to be saved in the first place, right? God didn't pick me because I'm great. God didn't pick me because I'm eloquent or short like, and brief and profound. I talk too much. I usually say the wrong thing. I'm pretty sure I've ticked off a few people in the room already. And if so, I apologize. It's not my intent. God picked me because he picks the foolish of the world to demonstrate his glory. Because if he can take a donkey and speak to Balaam and he can lower himself even further and put me in the pulpit um, and once in a while say the right thing, then God must be amazing. Because in reality, I'm this all of the time. And in Christ, I'm made new. God found me when I was stuck in the tire. Now, there's a danger in that. Um, well, actually, let's we'll get to that in in a second. Last idea here. Ultimately, we see Nebuchadnezzar repeating the words God has said to him time and again and realizing that it was always God's will and work that he was just a tool. He was never anything more than a tool in God's hands, and he came to understand that everything he had was as a result of that. But it wasn't until God corrected him, punished him, humiliated him, broke him. It was awful. Um, so what do we do with that? Here are the big concepts I want to draw out of this. I'm going to try and work through them quick. Okay, guys? As tools in God's hands, our hearts must be humble with our words and actions reflecting that inward truth. Everybody with me? What I am inside needs to be what I look like outside. And so my humility needs to go to the core of who I am. There was a long period of time in my Christian life and ministry where I was it and I was great at my job and I made sure everybody knew how good I was. Right? Told everyone. But I also pretended to be humble. You know the humble brag? Master at it. And over that time, I was empty, and I was hopeless. And I became, like I fell into all kinds of sin, and I began drinking too much, and I was nasty to my wife, and everything fell apart. And I, like, pretended everything was still great, and I drank to ignore it and everything else. And ultimately, God humiliated me. And he put me in a spot where I had to repent. And I went around to people who mistreated me, and I apologized for my sin. All the while thinking, but you did worse to me. For years and years and years, I thought these people were wrong and they sinned against me. And in the end, when I gossiped about them, when I didn't pray for them, when I didn't love them, I was being wicked. I was this. And I went around and apologized to those people. Because I didn't want to be right with them. I wanted to be right with God. And God requires me to be humble. He requires that the core of who I am recognizes that apart from his grace I am a broken screwdriver and I'll cause the people around me to stumble 
God teaches us humility, um, first off, through learning and growing. So some of y'all are hearing me talk and you're saying, this kind of applies to me. Now, you can do the Nebuchadnezzar thing, or you can do what hopefully will happen, where the Holy Spirit takes root and change happens, right? That is the ideal way to learn. The other way is through humiliation and correction. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. That's what I did. That's what I think a lot of people do, right? Or we bring ourselves into the mud, and then when repentance comes, he saves us. Um, Even our correction, growth, and redemption are a product of God's grace and work in us. Did Nebuchadnezzar have to be saved by God? Did God have to do it? Not at all. God could have squished him like a bug, right? He could have. God could have wiped him off the face of the earth. Fireballs could have fallen. He could have salted the earth. There would have been nothing left, and it would have been totally awesome because that's what we all want is the bad guy to get killed because we don't always realize that we're the bad guy too, and God saved us, and he wants to save them, and our job is to be Jesus to those folks and to be open about the fact that we are awful and from the inside realize that only in Christ am I saved. Only in his grace does he take a broken filthy, rusted piece of junk and remake into something great. And not me being great, by the way, because it's him. In Christ we're saved, not by any act, but by faith, because God saves. Even our correction and growth and redemption. So that's all God. Everything is God. Like every good thing. And we're lucky to be in that spot. That's why we say thank you. That's why we praise. That's why we sing. That's why we like do all the things we do. And ultimately, like it's important to understand this. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I think there's a whole lot of this in the world. I, I think that part of what has killed the church in the last two years is that we are proud as heck. We're not humble. Because our calling is to love each other. Actually, Paul says that. Consider everyone around you of more consequence than yourself. It'll be in the slides in a second. Like, but we don't. We don't at all. I read about a church in Canada where they put up a sign saying, you are not welcome if you are wearing a mask. But I know churches that went the other way and said, you may not walk in the door without one. The only requirement I have that you be in this building is that you hear the gospel. That you be lost and in need of grace. That you be a person that Jesus died for. What about this? What about that? What about sickness? What about this? What about these other things? Ultimately, we're all going to die. Ultimately, the political battle will go left and right, and in 10 years we'll be mad about something else if we're lucky enough to be here. But the gospel is the only thing that matters. If I have to wear a clown suit to preach the gospel, I'll do it. If I have to stand out in the mud, if I have to whatever, I will do whatever it takes. It is humiliating to tell you guys that I'm awful. It is terrible to stand up as this all the time. But because of this, the truth of this comes out. We're called to be humble, and he will humble us. So what do we do with this? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count yourselves or count others as more significant than yourselves. If you look at the folks around you, and they are your brothers and sisters in Christ, your job, first and foremost, is to look at those folks and say, that person is of value 
Like so much so because Jesus died for them. I actually love Jeremy Eccles for this because he is a guy that no matter what he's doing, it seems like he'll drop everything to come and help you because you're the most important guy in the room when your car won't start. Anybody else experience that? I have dozens of times. Love that. Look at the people around you and recognize, guys, Christ died for them and I need to build them up. Why? Because Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Right? But he was the boss. Why would he be humiliated? He was the son of God. Why would he have God pour his wrath out on him? Why would he be stripped naked and hung in front of a crowd of people? Why would he have a crown of thorns jammed on his head? I know I'm long and boring, but like, just give me one more minute. Um, we have to be like Christ in this, right? Um, and how do we do that? Well, we begin by asking ourselves, and I'm quoting Jesus, if you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. Because it's easy to get to that point. I show up to check my box. I say the right thing. I give the right amount of money. I vote the right way. I do this. I do this. I do this. I do this. Aren't I awesome? Thank the Lord that I am not like that tax collector over there, right? Because you can look good and be dead. If the inside isn't alive but the outside looks beautiful, God ain't fooled. We're still a broken screwdriver in the dirt. As tools in God's hands, we must stop for regular maintenance. Oh, my goodness. Larry has a swather that I love driving. Every year or so, you have to not drive that swather, and you have to do something. What do you have to do, Larry? You've got to do some maintenance, right? You've got to change out the parts, the little teeth, Right? Those things that cut you when you're trying to unsnag things. And if you don't do it, it don't work. And actually, before you start the thing in the morning, if you don't stop to check the oil and you get caught, you will be in trouble. Because even though the thing has never in its life ran out of oil, you still got to check. Because if you don't do maintenance, you will not, will not live spiritually. What does maintenance look like? Maintenance looks like consuming the Word of God. Maintenance looks like rest. Maintenance looks like worship. Maintenance looks like prayer. The average minister prays about three minutes a week. You know why? Because we're so busy and we're so important that we don't pray because we got things to do. But when we do that, we are recognizing or we're putting on display the fact that, like, we think we're more important than we are. And we're doing the work, not God. At the end of the day, if God isn't doing the work, I'm going to waste my time. I'm going to look in the mirror so I'm going to pass the mirror. It doesn't matter what I look like. i got work to do. Isn't God lucky to have me? Last one. Um, you have to be open to your brothers about your sins, struggles, shortfalls, and pain. Um, our culture has grown to this place where we pretend that we should hide everything and look awesome. In reality, that's pride. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. That's what the Pharisees did. It is, I am awesome. See me be awesome. Pretend that everything is okay is to live as a whitewashed tomb. What does that mean? 
The truth is, I talked to another pastor one day, and I told him, yeah, I'm doing addictions counseling with about five guys right now. Three of them I'm talking to about pornography. This was a few years ago. Don't try to figure out who they are. Um, and the one, he's like, wait a minute. No guy has ever come to me and talked to me about pornography problems. I'm like, well, 75% of men who attend church view pornography regularly. He's like, well, why do they talk to you? Because I talk about how horrible I am, and it's easy to talk to a horrible guy. Nobody wants to talk to the perfect guy about how rotten you are, right? The truth is, if you say, I'm struggling, it gives other people permission. The other thing it does is it cleans out the garbage. If you don't change your oil by confessing, by saying, here's how I struggle. Here's how I fail. Here's where I fall short. Not in the general humble brag way, but in real ways. I struggle to pray. I have the tension span of a goldfish. It is really hard for me to pray. I see things happening in the world around me, and I say, this is what I need to go do. And it's really hard for me to stop and pray. I try to run in the morning and pray. And oftentimes, about halfway through my prayer, I'm thinking about something else. You know why? Goldfish. I struggle. And I'll tell you that. And if you tell me that, we can keep each other accountable. Even saying it out loud helps. Because otherwise we live as whitewashed tombs. I've talked to, I, I talk to moms all the time who say, I feel like the worst mom ever. Anyone? Is everybody tired of hearing me talk? If I was just like so-and-so, I would be perfect. I don't understand how they're such a great mom. I once talked to two moms in a week where they pointed at each other saying, she's got it all together. Look at how I'm struggling. And I laughed, and I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Right? Talk to each other. Don't pretend you're perfect. I'm going to close. Actually, i got one more thing. Anybody know what this is? It is a magazine, not the kind you read. I was going to go shooting uh, this week, but I was too busy. But I put all the stuff in my car except my pistol. And so I had two magazines with, hol- or with uh, the cheapest steel cased. They might even be aluminum. I don't know. Uh, full metal jacket, target ammunition, right? Um, I have two of these in the car, and my kids found them when they were with me the other day, coming to the office to do some work. And they carried them around and thought it was the coolest thing ever. They were carrying bullets. Right? That's kind of cool when you're a little kid. In reality, this thing is useless by itself. Right? Many of us are this thing. We have filled ourselves up with lots of rounds, right? I know this scripture. I know this. Want to hear the books of the Bible? Want to know about the bake sale I was in? Want to know this? Want to know that? Want to know this? Want to know that? And we have lots of information, including great ways that we oh, I'm out. Great ways that we compare ourselves to the people around us. But because we are not a part of Christ in our lives, we go nowhere. Right? My challenge for you today is humble yourself. Bring yourself into a place where you are connected with God, where you are in Christ, where you are in the church in a way that is humble and connected and amazing. And I still went long, even though I was trying to go short. I'm sorry. Praying this morning, I got out of control, and here I am. Um, And bring yourself to a place of humility. Become 
the tool that God desires you to be by confessing, by understanding that, like, no matter how much you know, no matter where you've been, no matter how God has acted in your lives, apart from him in you, you will accomplish nothing. Oh, my gosh, we're doing communion on top of. I'm sorry I'm running long. I know there's lots to do. And you know what? I don't care. Because I can preach the gospel all day long if you look in the mirror and walk away and you forget what you look like. You forget your sin. You never turn to Christ. You never submit yourself. You never come back to him. You're thinking about the thing in the crock pot at home. You're thinking about this field that needs to get this or that that needs to get that or I'm so bored. Why won't Eric shut up? Don't listen to me. Listen to the Spirit. We're going to do communion. On the night that Christ was betrayed, he took his bread and he 